when I saw this motto of St. Timothy's many months ago, to know the Father, to grow as a disciple of Jesus, and to go with the Spirit, I must admit struggling a bit with this first word, grow. To, to grow, uh, when I heard it, suggested the idea that, that as I follow Jesus, I will grow sort of in a linear way, more and more faithful, more and more effective. And as I looked at my life and saw the ebb and flow of faith and doubts of confidence and uncertainty and confusion, I struggled with the notion of what does it mean to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Undoubtedly, the concept does include this idea of learning more. <clears throat> learning more about Jesus' life, gaining greater insights through prayer and conversation for how Jesus responded to the various challenges he faced in his life, especially so that we might learn how to respond in a similar way to similar challenges that we face in our life. I'm encouraged by this incredible psalm that we get just a little taste of today. Psalm 119, this amazingly large psalm in the Old Testament that, that speaks so deeply of the power of God's word. And undoubtedly, we too uh, grow as we connect to God's word. Let's listen to this psalm. It says, praise be to you, O Lord, Teach me your decrees. And as we've thought about God's word, sometimes we, we translate the Jewish word Torah as in law. And we think of the Old Testament as, as the place where we see the laws of God. But in truth, the word Torah might be better translated as instructions rather than just law or rules certainly it's instruction that is encouraged to be obeyed as we understand God's values and God's rules and God's direction and too often we ignore that as the verse goes on it says I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways I delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word as I looked at this this week and I thought about what does it mean to neglect your word? And one of the images that came to mind was the image sometimes referred to when we talk about the Bible on the shelf collecting dust. That is that we neglect God's word by not reading it, by not looking at it. But I want to suggest that even those of us who daily read the scripture sometimes are, are guilty of neglecting the word because we only think about its meaning and fail to ask questions about its application. We want to understand what it meant rather than what it means for how we are called to live our lives today, how we are called to relate to one another, how we are called to bear witness to the way of God in how we live. 
And I will remind you that God's promise to Abraham, God's choosing of Abraham early in the story of the Old Testament was a story that said God was choosing a people who could exemplify to the rest of the world the goodness of God that they might see them and glorify our Father in heaven. We were scheduled to have a baptism today, but the baby, the one-year-old, may have COVID. So uh, pray for the Newhouse family, but that's why we're not having a baptism today, because we're going to have to postpone it till we're sure that they're healthy and well. But in those baptism services, we use this phrase of, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not see your good works so that they think better of you. Not see your good works so that you can be, you know, uh, amass treasures and honor and fame, but rather that we would live in such a way that people would look to the God we serve and give him honor and worship and praise and understand a bit more fully who God is in character and intention. And then there's a, an interesting story that really ties closely to who we are as a congregation here at St. Timothy's. First, it's the story of Barnabas. Barnabas is active and a leader in the church of Jerusalem, and he hears that the Jews that have been dispersed are starting to share the gospel even with the Greeks. And they're kind of upset about that, so they send Barnabas to check it out. Now, I want to remind you that in the story, we learn that those Jews have been dispersed because of the persecution that happened to the Jews. The text tells us at the stoning of Stephen. And if you'll remember right, at the stoning of Stephen, there was a disciple of Gamaliel there holding people's coats, whose name was Saul, who later became Paul, who was a part of that very persecution. So Barnabas goes to see what's going on as they're sharing the gospel with Greeks, and those Greeks are accepting Jesus uh, as Lord and Savior, are beginning to live as disciples of Jesus, and he goes and he sees it's an amazing thing. And it's an amazing church. And he joins in their proclamation. And through Barnabas' proclamation, in addition to the proclamation already happening in the church, many more people come to Christ. And Barnabas is looking around and he's going, I can't keep this pace going. I need help. And he asks himself, who might be the one that God has equipped to help me? And the text tells us that he goes to Tarsus to find Saul, who, of course, was converted on the road to Damascus. But Saul, now Paul, has a reputation. And his reputation is that when he preached, people get worked up. They get so worked up that at one point they wanted to kill him. And the church rescued him and sent him away to Tarsus. Now, some people think they sent him away to save him, and other people think that they sent him away so that he could cool his heels for a bit. Maybe rethink his 
his uh, practice. Some people think that he was in Tarsus for as little as five years. Others suggest that he was there as long as ten years, cooling his jets, wondering what was happening, what would come of him, until Barnabas came and found Saul and brought him back to Antioch as a partner in ministry where together the church continued to grow. Our text tells us that in Antioch the church was first called Christian. But what our text doesn't say today is that it was that church, that body of Christ in Antioch that sent out all of the missionary journeys of Paul that took Christianity throughout the then known Asian world and to Rome. It was an amazing church and they continued this practice of finding a partner in ministry to mentor up. Yesterday we celebrated uh, Chris Amy becoming an Eagle Scout. Uh, it was an amazing thing. And, and as we sat there and listened, I learned about the journey it takes to become an Eagle Scout as they move through the Cub Scouts and then through the various ranks of Eagle Scout. And that journey was told to us. And then Chris had an interesting opportunity. He was able to give a pin acknowledging the support that he had received from his mother and from his father and then from three mentors who had been significant to him in his journey to Eagle. The second mentor was St. Timothy's former youth director, Joe Hill. And we're reminded of what it means, the value that exists in these relationships of encouragement and sharing the gospel. We're reminded that it makes a difference in people's lives and it makes a difference in the future church that, that people are raised up and encouraged by the community of faith and sent in Jesus' name. As we think about what it might mean to grow as a disciple of Jesus, perhaps we ought to be thinking instead about growing as disciples of Jesus, that that growth happens in community, that that growth happens as, as new Christians are raised up in the faithful witness and, and living out of our faith, that we share the love of Christ and the calling and the blessing that he pours into people's lives. So many of us are unaware of how God has gifted us until someone says to us, you're really good at this. Or that's a gift you could really use to strengthen the church and its witness. And so if you're sitting there today wondering what your place is, ask your friends. Talk to one another about what they see in you. Come alongside those you admire most and walk this walk of faith so that you can be encouraged in your faith and in your witness because God will use the community of faith as well as his word through the Holy Spirit to strengthen our discipleship. Then we recognize that the gospel today 
is sort of the beginning of the call of the 12 apostles, the, the, those first 12 disciples that Jesus calls. And Jesus is, is going from place to place and he's teaching this word. And there's this very strange story for us because quite frankly, this is how we see it working. The communicator is standing before you and maybe elevated a bit so he can see the eyes of the people over the heads of the folks in the back or perhaps in a pulpit. Nobody said amen. Okay, we're good. Uh, But the story tells us that Jesus is at the edge of the lake and the crowd is crushing in upon him. And he looks back and he sees boats of fishermen that are done for the day and are cleaning their nets. And he asks Simon, hey, I want to use your boat. And he sits in the boat and comes off. And Jesus sits in a boat and talks to the people on the land. I don't think that would work for me. Maybe I would get a little seasick. But the, but the suggestion that has been made over the years is that that was actually a very, very effective way to communicate. Number one, the people couldn't continue to press in upon him. And number two, the, the lake and the, and the lay of the land actually functioned as, a, as an amphitheater to amplify his voice. But then the surprise comes. When he had finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into the water and let down your nets for a catch. What did Jesus do for a living before he was a rabbi? A carpenter, a builder. Let's just say this out loud, not a fisherman. (laughs) Peter and his partners had been out most of the night. Their days are finished. They've already cleaned their nets. And yet Jesus says, put out, and, and Peter tells him, hey, look, We've already been out there all night and haven't caught anything. And then there's this amazing faith statement from Peter. Since you asked, we will put out our nets. A spirit of obedience was a part of what happened in this call to discipleship. And Jesus not only meets his expectations, but, but fully exceeds them by having them catch so many fish that, you know, the boats are about to sink. Uh, clearly, they were just casting their nets on the wrong side and the fish were there all along, right? Just a coincidence. But Peter sees this and recognizes this amazing authority of the rabbi, the Messiah. And his response is the same as most of ours. Forgive me for I am a sinner. I am unworthy. I don't deserve this. But Jesus' response is also something that we sometimes struggle to believe. And so I want us to think again about who we understand Jesus to be. And I've used this illustration before because it's so simple, but we can easily miss it. Jesus was called Jesus The text tells us, for he shall save his people from their sins. The word Jesus, the name Jesus means one who saves or savior. 
At the same time, the word Christ means Messiah, anointed one, or king. Let me phrase that another way. One to be obeyed. And so when we talk about believing in Jesus Christ, we're talking about believing in Savior and Lord. We're talking about the one who gave his life so that we could be and are forgiven. That's the first idea that somehow struggles to sink into our brains. You are forgiven. Do you believe it? Okay, that was a little quiet. Let me ask again. You are forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do you believe it? This same Jesus who gave his life as Savior is a rabbi, is a teacher, is an example. And we as God's people are called to worship and and believe in Jesus as both Savior and Lord. And because he is Lord, he is to be obeyed. Or maybe even more fully, worshipped. Let me phrase that another way in case you don't understand the basic assumption of what worship means. Submitted to. If Jesus is our Lord, if he is our king, then what we are called to be as disciples is those who are submitted to him. Those who are followers or students. Or one of the phrases is that that a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to do what he does and say what he says. The scripture says it this way. We are called as disciples of Jesus to be like Jesus. Do you know how we respond to that? I can't do it. That's impossible. There's no way I could be like Jesus. He was God, I'm not. And so our response to the scripture saying we are to be like Jesus is almost always giving up. And it's okay to give up trying to be like Jesus as long as we don't give up on the Holy Spirit making us like Jesus. Because that's what happens in our lives as we go through the ebb and flow of faith and doubt. That's what happens in our lives as we go through the times of rejoicing and the times of challenge. The Holy Spirit uses circumstances and our brothers and sisters in Christ and the Word of God to shape us. So that the truth of who Jesus is can be reflected in our lives, in our decisions, in our words, in our relationships, and indeed in our worship. So we are grown, we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And it does take its ebbs and flows. And some of the times the Holy Spirit is the most powerful at showing Jesus in your life and mine is when we're vulnerable enough to admit our mistakes and our doubts and our struggles and our utter and complete dependency on the God we serve and who will work in and through us. Because that's where other people find hope that the Holy Spirit might work in and through them as well. 
one sinner showing another sinner where to find bread. Jesus says to his disciples, as he said to Peter, I will make you fishers of people. I will use you to help others to see me. I will allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you to bear witness so that others too might come to know who I am and who they can be in this redeemed state as a child of the living God. And we are reminded that fundamentally what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow that great commission that he gave to his disciples when he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Brothers and sisters in Christ, most of this disciple-making reality happens as we interact with other people. Sure, God is at work in our Bible studies. He's at work here as we worship, as we, as we come before God to receive Christ anew in the Holy Sacrament, as we experience the forgiveness of our sins and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But fundamentally, God chooses to work in and through you through the relationships you have as you love others in Jesus' name as you share with them the truth of who he is. Our discipleship grows as we are willing to allow God to use us as his witnesses, as he's called and sent us to do. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the church, and God is at work in us. Thanks be to God. Amen.